Welcome to part two of Health System CIO's Health IT Influencer Spotlight with Craig Richardville, former CIO at Carolinas Healthcare. In this segment, we talk about why comparing healthcare to the financial industry makes sense if it's executed the right way, the benefits of going on sabbatical every decade or so, and the big mistakes CIOs make when dealing only with large vendors. This podcast is sponsored by Optum, solving real problems and creating practical solutions today using the latest in healthcare technology, such as blockchain, AI, and advanced analytics. See how Optum can make your digital transformation easier at optum.com CIO. So when we would do things, one of the, the, the tools that I used was a very simple meter from zero to 100 that you would see like as a gauge. And I would put the provider on one side and I would put the patient on the other side. So when we would make decisions, we would be like, who's it easier for? Is it easier for the provider or is it easier for the patient? And if we're going to be more patient-centric and focus on the patient, which is really why we're here for, then when those decisions get discussed, it's very easy to say, wow, that's going to be maybe a strain on me as a provider or a provider organization. But it makes it much easier for the patient slash consumer. So a great example of that, and then you're going back, you know, many decades now, is why are office hours, right, from 8 to 5 typically at a physician's practice? Well, because it's easier for the provider. They get up in the morning, they can come in, see the patients all day, and then go home. Well, for the patient, typically they're working as well. So it's easier for them to be from 5 p.m. to 8 in the morning because they don't have that impact, the required work schedule that they have. So that's why you start seeing urgent care centers and you start seeing virtual services, things that provide the spectrum of maybe 12 hours being open or maybe like a 7 to 7 or 724 like in virtual care is because all those times outside of office hours is really easier for the patient. And actually, and that's where we have some misaligned incentives at, at times, even during office hours, it's easier for the patient to do the, the minute clinic or to do the virtual care service. Or maybe at some point, I hope that it would be self-service, that I don't have any interaction with the health system at all. But the tools that we're creating for the patient, no different than if I want to deposit a check. Historically, I'd have to go to a bank, go to a teller, get it deposited. Then they made ATM machines. I could take my check, sign it, scan it in, but I still had to drive somewhere. And now in the last couple of years, you take a picture of your check. I don't have any interaction with any physical asset of the bank at at all anymore. No bank, no branch, no ATM machine. Now it's just me and my phone. And that's a very simple example. And I think that's where we'd have to start in healthcare, very simple things where I can self-diagnose myself and maybe have a treatment plan without an interaction. Because in most cases, when you talk to a provider, he or she is either using their knowledge or they're using a knowledge database to get down to that diagnosis. So in some cases, especially in the more common areas where there's cold, blues, et cetera, it would just make all, all the sense in the world. Just give that tool to the patient that he or she self-diagnoses, self-treating if X amount of days doesn't work, then maybe then escalate it to go back up to somebody else to have a, a more subjective opinion of it. But if it's all objective and it's all laid out, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to do that myself. Right. And the argument that we've heard over the years, of course, is that healthcare is more complex, which is why it's more difficult to, to do some of these things that other industries do. But by collaborating and by really talking out these issues, uh, it seems like that could only be a good thing to learn where the opportunities are and learn from their mistakes and, and challenges. Yeah. And I, I think it's all an evolution. So my example is a very simple example when I look at financial services or the banking industry. 
there are a lot of tools being developed by people outside of the industry. But to me, it's mostly still the very simple transactions. It's not rebalancing my portfolio and taking my investments and my assets across several different investment firms and brokerage companies and bringing it all together. And I mean, it's not doing that piece of it. You may still need a financial advisor to intervene to help manage the whole portfolio. So in healthcare, it's very similar, in my opinion. Some of the simple stuff, we should be doing it that way. We should be going ahead and providing them the tools they can basically do those transactions internally and not interfere with the complex aspects of healthcare, just like we don't do it with the complex aspects of financial services. But when you get to those pieces of it, then maybe you do have a virtual interaction or you do have to have go see a person or you do have to have other things being looked at before the provider can can intervene or somebody may be monitoring you. No different than if somebody's monitoring you from a credit monitoring perspective. Systems are in place to take a look at things that are happening and to notify you when you get out of range or there's been a charge that looks like it's made from out of the country or a non-normal charge. Same thing in your healthcare. You should be monitored continuously by the system and only have interventions occur when you fall outside of the normal range of what you should be at. So again, I, th- I think there's just a lot of analogies in between the different lines. And as a consumer, I can see that. And those are things that you know, I can see happening within my healthcare. Certainly, you know, there's, there's a difference between life and death and some of the aspects of healthcare, which is on the extreme side, but also on the financial services side, it's bankruptcy, financial death. So there are things that we need to put in place to ensure people stay away from the extreme aspects of it. But if a person can do it, you can train a computer to do it. And the computer can be trained so that it interacts very socially with a person or consumer and in all different types of avenues because the way that you interact might be different how I interact, different than my son, my brother, my parents. I mean, everybody's going to probably have some kind of variation. That's where it becomes very personalized. And so you see some of the interactions now with robotics and chatbots and things that where there's a computer in the back interpreting what you're saying and giving you back the question or the answer or a direction based upon its interpretation of what you're doing. And it's just people training and educating machines to do it on behalf because they don't get sick very rarely. They don't take PTO. They can work 724. They don't really require a physical place to come in and out. There's a lot of advantages of automating some of these um, tasks is what I'll call them. But I agree with you, the complexity aspects of it are still going to require because we don't have the exact science on it yet. It's still, in some cases, an art. But once it becomes a science, then we should be able to take steps toward automation. Right. Really interesting. To switch gears a a little bit, I want to talk about what you're doing now. And you've been away from the, the active CIO role for about eight months or so. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been actually. Um, I almost now feel that every X amount of years, you pick the time frame, ten, twelve. People ought to have a little sabbatical or something for a period of time and take yeah. a step out because being outside of the CIO role really has been a, a great learning and education process for me. I've talked to probably forty, close to fifty different companies. Most of them small startup, you know, maybe one hundred fifty million of revenue or less. And these companies have a lot of great ideas. They have some uh, neat services, products, things that are what I would say high-value propositions. But in most cases, when you're sitting at that CIO role, at that desk, especially for a, you know, a larger healthcare system, 
you're not as much addressing those smaller companies. You're using some of these same ideas and you're working with a lot of larger companies. And as you know, what people have say, you know, some of these larger ships are difficult to turn and difficult to get things kind of happening with them. Yeah. So what I've done is I've actually have filtered through a bunch of them. And I've also am looking for probably, you know, what my next uh, CIO role might be and where I would spend my last 10 years. I've always been a very loyal person with ProMedica for almost 12 years, Carolinas for 21 years. So in my 33-year career, I've had two employers. So I've got one last chapter left in another 10 years, 10, 12, whatever the time frame is. And I, and I want to do that as well. But I'm also working with some companies. I've got some great relationships. I've made some nice assets around the country that I'm going to bring to a couple of the CIOs that I uh, certainly know, both in healthcare and outside of healthcare, and test the waters with some of these services because they're very little, if not no investment. So some of my criteria when I'm working with these companies are zero investment because people don't have access to cash like that. I need to have it be only upside risk for the company, no downside risk. So I want zero investment coming in, and I want to be able to show a value prop of a double-digit return somewhere between 10 and 25% and have them start realizing that return in 12 months or less. That's a win-win deal. I mean, there's no, there's no downside to that. It's just somebody who has a very strong specialty or a niche bringing it in, or whether you're talking about analytics or all these different companies, a lot of really bright people out there. And I'm also, we have a company that's starting off here soon called Strive. And Strive is a company that will be nationwide providing a variety of different services, brokerage services, resource services, talent management services, out both across all industries, primarily focused on technology industries of which I consider healthcare a technology industry, and take these types of services back out to multiple people. And those are things that can be done in sync with a CIO role. So for me, these are investments. These are great ways that I'm learning more about what's out there. I have certainly a larger portfolio of assets now than what I had, you know, a year ago. And so from that standpoint, some of those assets I want to share and some of those assets I'll bring with me, you know, into a new role. Has there been, not necessarily be an aha moment, but are there issues that you just see in a different light, even having stepped away for not really a long period of time, but just still being very active in the industry, but outside of that role, are there things that that you've started to think about differently? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I would say probably the the biggest thing is people to uh, leave their doors open and to engage uh, on a very personal level, you know, with some of these smaller companies, you're going to get the 80-20, you know, with the larger companies. You're not going to go wrong. Things are going to be fine. But there's gaps. And those gaps, unless it somehow makes their product or their service, you know, market competitive more, people would make buying decisions based upon that. Those companies are not going to fill those gaps. It's not a return to fill that gap for them unless it buys them a new customer or wins over a decision uh, or has somebody transition or convert because they filled that gap. And so to take a step back and to scan the market and to look at some of the smaller companies as opposed to always peeing on the large ones, I think is important. And, you know, those companies over time, some will will possibly be acquired or maybe they will fill that gap at some point. But right now it's there. And so when you go out to some of the events that people go to, they typically like the, the large companies and their platforms and you know, go in and they get you know, treated really nice and everything is first class. I would highly suggest that you start going to some of the smaller, if not some of the smallest, you know, the little 10 by 10 displays that people have and take a serious look at, at a couple of things there because there are things that are really nice nuggets that have tremendous returns. 
one service that I'm looking at with a company called HMD honor my decision, it's a hundred percent return on your investment mm-hmm. that they receive back. And the profits and the contributions go toward a foundation for community service. Oh, wow. So that's why you're in the healthcare business to begin with right. is to contribute back to your communities. Plus you need to be financially viable. This is certainly a big return on that. So to me, a company like honor my decision increases your revenue, it increases your net margin. And then it also contributes back to a, a foundation as the owner of that company. Nice win-win-win all, all the way around. Yet, if you went back to a majority of the people sitting at their seats, they never have, never heard of, and probably would never open their doors to smaller companies like that. What I'm saying is you need to take a part of your time and not always delegate that piece out so you can show and, and be by example and investigate a few of these companies. If you find one that's a winner, it'll definitely be worth your time. And one of the biggest focuses across the industry is transitioning healthcare in, into a digital industry. And this seems like an area where some of the, the smaller, newer, more nimble companies can start to make an impact. Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, it's funny you, you mentioned the word nimble because one of the companies I'm working with is actually called Nimble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually have a, uh, a whole new methodology of going at risk for managing a certain part of your office automation services, okay. similar to what healthcare, the industry is going through to go at risk in managing populations. So they developed an expertise that can then be transitioned saying, hey, as opposed to you doing volume-based, let me go ahead and go at risk. I can understand your environment and I'll go at risk for controlling that environment for you and lowering your cost by, you know, 15%. And the same thing's happening in healthcare, same type of uh, mentality of let me go at risk for that population to be able to stop the increasing costs or maybe have a savings on the cost and have a better product and service at the end. So, you know, from that standpoint, I do think you've got that happening all the way across the industry. And the reason why, you know, new companies or products or sub-industries are created is because there's a problem that nobody has solved. And because of that, that's why they're able to come in and, and add that kind of value. But also, when you look at some of the larger companies, there are a few, obviously, by exception, whether you're talking about Apple or Google or Microsoft. These companies, Amazon, obviously, can fill some of these small niches, you know, and, and make it happen. They've been able to prove that they are very nimble in using your term of how to manage certain pieces. And the whole organization doesn't have to shift. They just have the culture that allows them to jump in and, and take care of that. And so, you know, those things are all great for me and you that are patients and consumers of health and healthcare type services. I think for us and for, you know, our children and our grandchildren, what we want to build is a better environment for them, not a better environment for the healthcare systems or the providers necessarily, unless it contributes back to the mission of the organization. So, I think you're starting to see a shift. Uh, Historically, people were directed to where they needed to get their care. They were referred to certain places, and it all was managed by either payers or by the providers. And now I think what you're seeing is there's so much information available, and if we can provide them the tools, the patients can help direct themselves. The consumers can make those types of decisions. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, Visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.